Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Uh, happy Wednesday uh, to you and yours. It is hump day. We are halfway through the week. And man, oh man, do we have a fantastic show uh, planned for you today. But b- before I preview the show, I need those of you uh, watching via YouTube, to hop in the comments, the live chat, or in the comments somewhere. And I need your thoughts, I need your uh, uh, position, your opinion on my decision. I think three days this week, I've worn this vest. And I'm wearing this vest because everybody's told me that I've lost so much weight, my sports coats look stupid on me. And, and then if I didn't have something over it, then you could see how big my shirts are. And these are tailor-made shirts that I spent a bunch of money on, so I'm trying not to throw them out before it, it just, they are too ridiculous. So I gotta put something over the top to cover up how big these shirts are, but then this vest is too big. So anyway, I just want some of my uh, fashion critics uh, to give me thumbs up, thumbs down, on this style of dress I'm trying to do until uh, I have some more clothes made. That was one of the reasons why Troy came here and visited a couple of weeks. He's gonna be back, uh, because I gotta get new clothes. But I'm trying to make the best of a bad situation, or a good situation, actually. I'm losing weight as best I can. And so I need your opinion. Is, is, this, is this vest working? Do I need to get more of them? If you're tired of seeing the same ones with a different shirt, uh, Just Leave me a comment, hop in the live chat. I'll be there reading uh, your comments. And so I, I want your opinion to help me out on that. Also, while you're doing that at over Apple, you can leave a comment about my clothes, but you can also give me a five-star review. So do all of that for me. Thank you very much. Now I'll get to previewing today's show. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we're gonna continue uh, a little bit. It'll be a little different theme last week. On Wednesday, you remember Tennessee Harmony? We did Tennessee Harmony at the movies and we reviewed uh, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Those guys did such an awesome job, uh, Bobby and Anthony, and yeah, and TJ Moe was a part of that as well, that we're gonna review another movie, the movie I've been talking about all week, the one that I think is important. It's a documentary by Matt Walsh, What is a Woman? I think the documentary is very important. You guys have heard my criticisms that, you know, I'm upset that it uh, upset or just felt like it could have been improved by uh, including a biblical worldview. And so who better to ask uh, to watch the What is a Woman documentary than to ask two ministers 
uh, Bobby and Anthony, what do they think about my critique and what do they think about the documentary? Uh, but before I do that, <clears throat> I'm gonna set a fire uh, on Jonathan Capehart and the Washington Post and, and something I read uh, this morning in the Washington Post that is somewhat connected to the whole what is a woman, well, it's not somewhat, it is connected to the what is a woman transgender issue. I'm gonna unpack that first, that fire first, bring in TJ Moe, discuss that fire, then transition to Tennessee Harmony, let Bobby and Anthony talk about that and the whole what is a woman deal. Uh, so fantastic, awesome show, kickback, uh, prepare to be inspired, have your thoughts provoked, and you know, your conventional wisdom challenge, that's what we like to do here. So uh, let's get to it. Uh, Jonathan Capehart, a black editor at the Washington Post and MSNBC contributor, wrote a column Tuesday that he and his white hus husband might flee the United States over growing fear of, quote, crazy white people. He never stated where he and Nick Schmidt might relocate or which nation would be more welcoming of the love the hate, love the fruit, hate the tree Negroes. He omitted uh, their dream destination because he knows black people experience a higher standard of living, life expectancy, and safety in America than any place on earth. Nowhere else on the planet could a dark-skinned man as intellectually compromised and limited as Capehart find high-profile work as a public intellectual and white liberal puppet. Capehart and his boo-thang would not abandon America at gunpoint. So what is the real point of Capehart's Tuesday column titled, Why Black People Are Afraid of Crazy White People? In it, he argues that the Buffalo mass shooting illustrates that white people's fear of demographic changes as a result of illegal immigration is causing white people to turn crazy and potentially violent toward black people. He cites polling from the Southern Poverty Law Center that states that 70% of Republicans believe in the Great Replacement Conspiracy. He connects the SPLC poll to a Washington Post poll that states 75% of black people worry that they, that they or a loved one will be physically attacked because they're black and believe white supremacists are a major threat to black people. These polls justify Capehart writing one of the most morally bankrupt and racist opening paragraphs in the last 50 years of mainstream newspapers. Capehart wrote, quote, <clears throat> I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Black people are not afraid of white people, we're afraid of crazy white people. That sentence is the equivalent of a white columnist writing, quote, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. White people are not afraid of black people, we're afraid of That's what that sentence states. Jonathan Capehart is not a racist. He loves white fruit, Nick Schmidt. He pretends to hate the tree, America. Capehart is a soldier in the BLM LGBTQ plus alphabet mafia. His purpose and point are no different from the Black Lives Matter movement. 
His job is to wrap the agenda of the LGBTQ movement in black advancement packaging. He's tying the freedom and treatment of black people to homosexuals and transgenders. That's why he made this ridiculous and illogical reference to Philando Castile when arguing against the Second Amendment and self-defense. Capehart wrote, uh, think about it. Imagine I get a gun for self-protection, not that I ever would, but stay with me. A situation arises in which I use to protect myself, but then the cops arrive, see a gun, fear for their lives, and well, the rest writes itself. Remember Philando Castile? We can't win. A Minneapolis police officer shot and killed Castile during a routine traffic stop. Castile legally carried a firearm. A jury acquitted the officer of manslaughter. The tragedy that befell Castile is an extremely rare occurrence. Capehart knows this, but he's an operative in the real replacement theory sweeping democratic politics. Black is the new gay and trans. Capehart ties the whole thing together toward the end of his column, writing, quote, it's not just race either. The SPLC report notes a correlation between the obsession with ethnic replacement and a fixation on gender identity and look. More than 300 anti-LGBTQ bills have been filed this year alone, many of them targeting trans children and their families. This is not to mention the threat to abortion access or to the other rights, such as my marriage, that could fall like dominoes. There it is. Capehart's real passion is protecting his marriage to Nick Schmidt. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Capehart would not piss on a heterosexual black man set ablaze at the White House. He loves fruit and he hates the way God made him. For stating this obvious truth, I'll be accused of homophobia and transphobia. It's not true. I despise dishonesty and lies. I'm tired of black elites disconnected from the reality of working class people standing on the caskets of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Philando Castile, Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, and Michael Brown to advance the plight of the alphabet mafia. Capehart is using black people to promote an agenda that directly contradicts the gospel spelled out in the Bible. I'm afraid of Jonathan Capehart. He's a recruiter for what I like to call Broke Backs Mountain. That, that's what this is. Broke Blacks Mountain. Jonathan Capehart and his husband, that white fruit that he loves, that's his real agenda. It's not us. And he wants to bait other broke blacks from moving away from their biblical worldview and hopping on board with the LGBTQ mafia. That's the agenda. It's plain as day Stevie Wonder can see it. If you read his column, this whole little ridiculous assertion that black people are sitting around, oh my God, white supremacists are gonna kill us. Did you see what happened in Buffalo?
I'm not disconnected from black people, working class black people. I spent all of my years growing up in that environment. I still got family, friends in that environment. No one's sitting around. Oh my God, the KKK is gonna come here and get us. Trump boys or proud boys are gonna come here and get us. That's a lie, but Capehart, laying in bed with his white fruit in some white suburb, gated community, I'm sure, thinks that black people are sitting around, oh boy, the Proud Boys, and not sitting around going, oh, the Crips and the Bloods and the Gangster Disciples and the Vice Lords. That's who they're really worried about. The stats are overwhelming. The reality is overwhelming. But Capehart knows nothing about that because he's completely disconnected from black America. He's connected to Nick Schmidt. That white fruit that he loves. And again, I'm not denigrating interracial relationships. Nobody that knows me would think that I would do that, would think that I would have the standing to do that. I have no problem with interracial relationships. I have a problem with cowards like Jonathan Capehart who are in interracial relationships and then as a ploy, try to run around and act like, oh, they got a problem with white people. They got a problem with white people everywhere but in the bedroom, the most intimate place. A liar and a fraud. And, and Pop, uh, mainstream corporate media is filled with them. It's no accident. There's a profile that is being, that is established and, and hiring decisions are made on them. If you think Don Lemon, another love the fruit, hate the tree Negro, if you really think he's really concerned about black people, when he's laid up with a white man, most nights or every night. And we really think he's speaking for us. This list goes on and on and on. Charles Blow, the dude from the New York Times, he wrote his memoir and talked about his little love affair, or his little uh, liaisons with men. This is an LGBT movement. This out recruiting broke blacks to climb up on that mountain with them. This has nothing to do with advancing black people. Nothing, everything to do with transphobia and this man worried that America may shake, shake out of its insanity and say, hold on man, this marriage thing ain't for two men. And I'm sorry, that doesn't make me homophobic for stating that. It makes me someone willing to stand on biblical principles. I have no hostility towards gay people. I've sat here and said a million times, my gluttony is sinful. I don't expect anybody to normalize the gluttony that has made me overweight. 
and we shouldn't be again. This country founded on biblical principles, this country best operated on biblical principles, had no business sanctioning same-sex marriage. This is the slippery slope. And that's why we're now looking at drag queens being brought into little school systems to, to, to bait and groom kids for the LGBT movement. This Stevie Wonder can see this. That it was never, oh yeah, we just want the health insurance and we, we want the rights to participate in the, if my husband dies, 401k, social security, blah, blah, blah. It was never about that. It was always about right where we are right now with drag queens, in schools and parents dragging their kids to gay bars to be entertained by drag queens and for America to be celebrating a gay pride month. Where if you don't put on a gay pride patch in the Major League Baseball, they can call you a racist, a bigot, a homophobe or whatever. We don't have to be this stupid and this naive and, and pretend like we don't know where this was always headed and where it is now. Again, John K. Park can argue for his lifestyle and fight for his lifestyle. Hats off to him. You don't have to drag my skin color into it. You don't have to play a game with black people and get them to abandon all of their biblical uh, worldview and principles and values to co-sign for your lifestyle. I'm not going to put together some movement for fat people to normalize my lifestyle. I'm not going to drag white people or black people into my sinful gluttony. Why are you dragging me and us into your decisions, your lifestyle choices? Stand on your own two feet. Uh, TJ Moe, uh, and by the way, you look awesome down there in Dallas. I was fooled for a moment and thought that, uh, like, wow, they done really uh, cleaned up, uh, worked out TJ's basement and improved things. Uh, <laughs> but you're, <laughs> then I remembered you're in Dallas. Uh, TJ, I, I, you know, to me, his opening paragraph of this column is one of the most racist things I've ever seen published in what is supposed to be a, a serious newspaper. Let me let me let you in on a secret. Uh, you know, we don't hate white people. We hate crazy white people. Mm -hmm. Who writes that? Who publishes that? How did we get here where that could even be published in a mainstream newspaper in 2022? He's been given immunity. He's black and gay. And so he has immunity to say anything he wants in the world. And, and that is the issue with our public discourse today. And the pushback is considered homophobic and racist, right? Because any criticism of, of a group that would be a protected group at this point is considered, uh, the idea would be that you hate them, right? And, and none of his, 
none of his argument makes any sense, right? He said he's afraid of crazy white people. Okay, so we would all agree that today is probably the least racist time in the, I don't think probably, certainly the least racist time in American history, certainly less racist than 1980. So the FBI statistics from 1980 to 2008, that's where they cut them off. 93% of black victims were killed by other blacks. So if you're afraid of the crazy white people, they're only kids. And again, this, this is obviously not necessarily the mass shootings and such that you're just hunting them down. Typically, you're killed by those in your surroundings. And this is not this is this is not um, in particular just black people. Eighty four percent of white people are killed by other white people. Right. You're killed by the people that you are around. Right. Typically, you know, friends, acquaintances, whatever that would be. It is a rarity. Uh, the reason we talk about the Buffalo thing is because it is a crazy rarity that somebody would be that open, write a manifesto, go to a place that is a predominantly black neighborhood and say, I'm and, and videotape and say, I'm killing you because you're black. So first, his his. He instead of using statistics, he was at least clever enough to use a poll. Well, black people are afraid of it. 75% of black people are afraid this could happen. Forget whether or not it actually might happen, right? Because 93% of black people are killed by the black people. We're afraid of it. And that's what really matters. We're afraid of the white people. So we can't coexist. We actually may need to leave. Of course, I'm not going to leave my husband, who I'm going to go sleep with tonight. But I, the rest of us need to leave the other white people. He's not one of the crazies. So that's the first thing. The second thing that caught my eye was his, he called it a great replacement conspiracy. When did this become a conspiracy? They've been open about it. The idea is we think Hispanics will vote for us. So we need to get as many of them in the country that go look at, at the history of our networks actually telling us that. And so we're, we're aware that it's not a conspiracy. And what's funny is they're the ones who um, abide by the identity politics. Right. And so I don't think conservative, particularly conservative white people are afraid of this because we don't abide by I, I don't subscribe to identity politics. And it turns out that they're afraid that their great replacement theory is not going to work, which is why George Soros just bought 18 radio stations. It cost him 60 million dollars. They are his they are uh, Latino Hispanic radio stations that he needs to take over to pump the Democratic platform into them. So because he's afraid that they're losing their votes. Right. And so we're, there are a lot of inconsistencies and stupidity without the article. But the big thing is the last thing that you said, which I think is very smart. And I want to uh, and I want to expand on that. The trying to enhance the lives of black people historically oppressed is a very noble cause, right? Particularly if that's your community and you've done well and you're spending your time saying we need to make good decisions. The father's got to stay in the house. Here's how we can do it. And, and you go about that is actually a noble cause, right? As we know, God does not favor a race over another race. However, hooking your bandwagon to something that God says is sinful is setting yourself up for self-sabotage because God cannot bless sinful movements, right? The LGBTQIA plus, however many letters it is now, is a sinful movement. God will never look down on that, put his hand on it and say, you have my blessing. And we're, you're, you're never going to get to a place, uh, no matter how many minds you change and how many white people you kick out of America, you're never going to be a blessed group because your group 
is not based on a skin color, right, that there's nothing wrong with. It's based on a behavior that there is something wrong with. So the black people, particularly black Christians that are that are hooking their wagon to this sinful behavior because of some idea that we're all historically oppressed. I'm telling you, it is serious self-sabotage. God cannot bless that. Not going to bless it. It's it's infuriating to me. And, and sometimes people will ask me, uh, you know, man, you're critical of black people or the behavior of black people in the media public spotlight. And and I'm critical of all influencers who are deliberately trying to lead people astray. Mm. And so because I have black skin, because my family is virtually entirely black, the majority of my friends are black. It bothers me when I see so clearly that there is a group of elites on TV in prominent influential positions in the media who are determined to lead black people away from their religious faith. And so I'm going to call that out every time I see it. This Capehart article to me is the uh, epitome of, of, what I, of what I see. The man would not piss on a black heterosexual man set ablaze anywhere in America. <laughs> he does not care about black people, period, end of story. He cares about the group that he most identifies with, gay people. And I got no problem with him identifying with his group. But my problem is him pretending that he's a part of this other group or that he's a concern with this other group. He's not. He, he, he's not remotely. And so the, he, uh, Charles Blow, Michael Eric Dyson, Don Lemon, uh, Joy Reid, all these people that sit on TV, Jamel Hill, all of them are trying to walk black people away from their religious faith by hooking them to the LGBTQ deal for the exact reasons that you're talking about. That, I'm not trying to demonize those people with that weakness because I have my weakness, food. I have my weakness, promiscuity. I'm not trying to demonize it, but I'm also not trying to justify it, promote it, or normalize it. And to, to, to do that, to with, with the, oh my God, we, you know, and, and to throw it in, to stand on the caskets of these people that they wouldn't, this man would run 100 miles per hour away from Philando Castile, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery and would call the police if they dared come into his neighborhood or knocked on the door where he and his white husband reside, he would call the police and he would, and if they routinely showed up in his neighborhood, he would get a gun. I don't care what he says in, in this BS, I'll never get a gun. Trust me, if George Floyd was walking around his neighborhood, he'd have a gun and he'd use it. But this is the blackest man in America and in American media and gets to write this kind of racist garbage in the Washington Post as, as, as bait 
to get black people away from God, I, I'm not going to stand for it. I, I'm so and, and TJ, I, I want to take care of some business. We're going to do an approval rating on Jonathan Capehart and then we're going to get to Tennessee Harmony. I'm going to calm down for these ministers to get in here and I start cussing. Uh, <clears throat> with Father's Day coming up and all the summer events and holidays on the horizon, this is the perfect time to try a box of good ranches. If you're looking to surprise your father, grandfather, father-in-law, husband, baby daddy, this, <laughs> I hope it's not your baby daddy, I just need to be careful. This is a no-brainer. Good Ranches is the place to get American beef, chicken, and seafood this summer. They sell 100% American meat and ship it right to your door. And right now, they're giving away two free 18-ounce prime center-cut ribeyes to every person that uses my code FEARLESS. That's over two pounds of prime ribeye steaks just added to your order at no cost. With Father's Day almost here and summer stretching out before us, what's not to love? This is not the time to wait. Claim your ribeyes today before they run out. This is a limited stock item, first come, first serve, and you want to be first when it comes to good ranchers. They deliver the best of American farms and ranches to your door. Make sure you take time today, right now, and go to goodranchers.com fearless, or use my code fearless at checkout to get your two free 18-ounce ribeyes. Start the summer off right with good ranchers, American meat delivered, Good soldiers support good ranchers. You guys know exactly what you need to do. All right, let's get to our approval rating on Jonathan Capehart. Mm. You know what, TJ, I'm going to do this quickly because I just can't imagine. I'm going to need much math skills here uh, to add these scores up. Uh, listen, Jonathan Capehart is a soldier in the alphabet mafia in the alphabet mafia that's his job uh all this other stuff is just decoration his job is to promote the lgbtq crowd to the black community time together uh it's a satanic job but he does it relatively well i'm gonna give him a four in job <laughs> that's as high as i can go as a four out of 25 in job performance <clears throat> you gave him a few more points than i did uh, i gave him a zero yeah. I, I went with his actual uh the job that he would put on his, his resume that is the uh, one of the editors for the washington post he started it uh, March 30th, not been on the job very long. Uh, and the first article that I see is him telling black people to leave America because white people are hunting him down. So I don't think you get any points for that. <laughs> uh, character. He's quite a character. He's got he's low character, uh, but I, I can't go to a zero because I do think he's convinced himself that the things he's fighting for uh, are high character. So I'll give him a three uh, in character. Hmm. Uh, I, I feel fine giving him a zero. Actually, uh, Queerty named him among 50 heroes uh, leading the charge in the LGBTQIA+. If you are leading the charge, if you are one of the top 50 people leading America to destruction, I don't give you a real high award for character there. Uh, authenticity, I'm going to remain uh, probably a little more generous than you because I do think he authentically believes he's one of the good guys and he'll be on the right side of 
some history that he, he hopefully writes. Uh, so I'll give him a five in authenticity. I think he believes the garbage he says to some degree, a small degree. Mm, I don't think he does. Uh, I think he's doing what you accused him of doing. And that is that he really just cares that he's a gay guy and he's using black people as a shield because that's a fight that the rest of America is really worth uh, it really believes is worth fighting. And so he's using the black people as a shield to actually push forward the thing he cares about. And he's not honest about that. Zero. Mm. Uh, it factor. Uh, this is where I'm right down there with you. Uh, I just, he, he ain't got it. Mm. Uh, so I gave him a zero uh, in it factor. Uh, Jonathan Capehart, Capehart has no appeal to me. So uh, I did want you to have to carry the one. So I did give him one point here. Uh, he did win a Pulitzer Prize as a staff writer back in 1999. So that is worth one point. Mm. Uh, and that tells you all you need to know about the Pulitzer Prize, uh, him <laughs> winning one. All right. So uh, I've got him at a, we both have him at a dumpster fire. I've got him at a 12. Uh, you have him at a one. Uh, one may be the lowest score. I don't. Maybe someone's gotten a zero. Uh, thank you, TJ. TJ's going to stick with us and be here for Tennessee Harmony. I, I couldn't bring Bobby and Anthony out here because I knew I would be too angry at the start of the show, and I need to be in a better uh, mindset and tone and mood uh, when I have disciples of God with me, and I know I'm a disciple as well, but I didn't want to... I didn't want the pastors to be in any way associated with the level of anger I expressed at the beginning of the show. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, Tennessee Harmony, Anthony and Bobby. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to keep the show rolling with some Tennessee Harmony on the topic we've been uh, covering all week. What is a woman? Matt Walsh's uh, documentary about the transgender issue uh, that I enjoyed. I think most people enjoyed, but I've contended all week since I, I think I watched it first on Friday, then again on Sunday, that it missed out on an opportunity to uh, explain the satanic nature of the transgender movement and juxtapose it with a biblical worldview. And, and as I talked about on Monday with Shamika and Jill Savage, that, you know, the documentary was fine. But in addition to, I wanted them to add the biblical point of view and biblical perspective. I think they made a big mistake there. But I uh, wanted to talk with uh, Bobby and Anthony about that. My contention, these guys have watched it as well. TJ Moe is still with us. Uh, if you guys could uh, bless the conversation, and then we'll let you guys chime in. So, God, we just come to you in prayer on air again. And uh, I just want to acknowledge uh, how easy it is to get angry. And the, just want to say that anger is not in and of itself bad. And uh, we appreciate that Jason cares about these things. I pray that everybody would care about them. And so we just pray that you guide the conversation for what's true and right in your eyes, God. 
Father God, as always, we're thankful for the opportunity uh, to share in this platform and with those who are watching, we pray, uh, even with those who agree and those who may disagree, we pray that uh, we can all come together on the word of God. And we pray that this platform will uh, put forth the word of God as our solution. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. 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 So what did you guys think of the documentary? And what do you think of my contention that it needed a biblical perspective? We'll go Bob, Anthony, and then TJ, you jump in. So um, <clears throat> I, like you, I like the documentary. I, I, I must say I actually, so I, I watched it first before I knew we were going to talk about it on the show. Then I watched it again. And my dominant feeling actually, to be transparent, was sadness uh, because I... I keep thinking of this world uh, that we're rapidly embracing, and it's so sad. Now, I want to say that I feel sad because of the people being deceived by all the lies, but I also feel sad because I've known a few people who uh, really felt like that they were uh, uh, like a, a, a woman in a man's body, and just seeing how they're encouraging them to make these radical changes. And I feel compassion for anybody who feels that way. So I feel sad about that because I think they're really being misled. And, and then uh, my, my second thought, Jason, was um, it just makes me angry too. Because when we really love somebody and things are really hurting somebody, uh, it should make us angry. So I liked it. Uh, it made me sad. Uh, and I'll wait and comment on uh, uh, your take on it because I think you made a good point. It was a good documentary that revealed some bad things. And that was my initial take. I think uh, he did a great job with kind of navigating the thrust of that question. What is a woman? It's a very basic question that we all ought to be able to answer. However, we've gotten so far as a society from God, we've gotten so far from objectivity, we've gotten so far into our own sinful nature that a very basic question seems, I mean, confounding, like we couldn't even answer. Uh, to your point, though, I do think I see both sides. I see, uh, I think it was Jill's side, but I see your side as well. That's where I landed when I first watched it was like, why didn't we put just even, you know, a few ministers in there to respond to it since the definition of anything is foundational to what we do. And God established he created the male and female like that could have been just have a minister here or there. But then at the same time, hearing what Jill mentioned, I appreciate the fact that she said it starts a conversation. And I'm OK with that. It starts a conversation. But I do believe that if we're going to progress any further in answering, uh, you know, wholly this idea, we can't do it without a godly perspective. It cannot be done. TJ, Jason, I, uh, we talked whatever it was Friday or Saturday, and I told you I think it was the best piece of content conservatives have made in the last decade. Um, and it's incredible because all Matt Walsh did was hold up a mirror and say, you guys see how crazy this is, right? You, 
You heard the same thing I did? And what it did for the first time, and it's actually incredible that he got people to do the interviews with him um, that either didn't do the research on him or had not heard of him. And the, the, we have been talking in an echo chamber forever, and he showed just how little pushback uh, something like this would cause um, the collapse of the entire idea. Right. And so I do think it was useful. It was entertaining as well because Matt has a, a great dry sense of humor. He was able to add in some of his own life. All that was great. Um, but and, and to be totally transparent, I didn't go down this road until you and I talked and you took me down this road. What we did was it, with that documentary, I said we as conservatives, but what, what Matt did in the documentary was he treated a symptom um, and he did not really look for the big issue. And so the analogy I would use is this actually, it's a true story of my uncle about a year ago. He was getting these crazy rashes, right? And he was staying up all night itching and he's like, what is the problem here? He goes to the doctor. The doctor gives him some anti-itch cream. And he's like, don't you think, I mean, isn't it weird that I'm 45 years old, 50 years old, and you're just giving me like, I'm just, I'm getting these rashes for a reason. They're like, ah, clean up your diet. You'll be fine. They stayed. Six months later, he found out he had a tumor in the middle of his chest. He was coughing so bad that it actually had moved his heart over. And he had uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay. And he's like, so let me get this straight. You gave me anti-itch cream six months ago for Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that to me, by the way, he's fine. He actually went through chemo. He's fine now. It's a good, happy ending to the story. However, I think that's what this documentary did. We just gave anti-itch cream to the cancer that is this anti-God movement. All of this, look, there's terrible things happening in our society right now. We have guys who think they're girls. We're putting on drag shows for kids everywhere. They're being sponsored by some of our biggest corporations. We had something going on at like a naval base. I mean, it's happening everywhere and it's terrible. And it's great that somebody is willing to speak out against it. However, those are just symptoms. The truth is that this is an anti-God movement. So my problem is, is you try to fight uh, an anti-God movement with a secular objective truth, whatever that happens to be. Jesus told us he's the truth. John 14, 6, I think. I am the way, the truth, and the life. How can you fight anti-God evil without using the person who told us he is the truth. And so first, whatever, I think it was an hour and a half documentary, that 15 minutes is the breakthrough. And so we may knock this branch off of the cancerous tree, but the truth is the whole tree needs to come down and it's just going to keep growing branches forever until we decide to go after the actual cancer. We, we gave anti-itch cream to somebody who needed chemotherapy. Well, that was my point. <laughs> That's what, the, the, here's what I'll say. The, the, the best point I thought that was made Monday from Shamika and Jill was Shamika's point that, uh, hey, we got to give Matt Walsh credit for his approach. Mm -hmm. She said his approach was very Christ-like because he did not, he was very respectful, very warm, uh, unflappable, never got frustrated. And so that was, I thought, one of the best. He handled it the way that a Christian should. He just, to me, didn't uh, 
come in with the finishing kick of like, hey, I just want to explain to y'all what you just heard from these people. The, the woman at the beginning of the doctor calls it a Faustian bargain. That's a deal with the devil. She said it out of her own mouth about the transgender issue. And then when they get to explaining, and where did this come from? Alfred Kinsey, John Money. Uh, John Money tried to justify. His goal in life was to justify pedophilia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kinsey was an atheist and, and stated he wanted to disrupt the Judeo-Christian family structure. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the one woman, the Faustians, first 10 minutes, 50, 40 minutes later, here they come with the creators of this movement, clearly hostile to Christianity and God. And so I just thought at the end, if you just come in and say, you don't heard what their agenda is. Now let's go to a couple of ministers that can, cause so everybody can get the big picture. Like this is a movement against God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, so I loved his approach and it was Christ-like. Cause I don't know if some of the stupid things that he said <laughs> would have provoked me but he, he was great, I thought, in the way he handled it. Yeah, I thought he was great, too. What was really interesting is that when he, he would push the people uh, that he was interviewing, and he would get close to them having to basically admit their absurdity, it was like the, the demons inside of them would like, you know, at him. With uh, a smile, though. I, I, these people, they seem very joyful in their... Wickedness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, let, let me address one of the things that you've brought up, and that is he should have brought up, uh, you know, our faith in Jesus, and we hold the beliefs that we do because of Jesus. And I agree with, with your saying that. The problem is that as soon as you do that, you get written off. And he was trying not to get written off. But here's the dilemma that many Christians have today. Uh, and I've personally experienced this dilemma. Many times I will try to make a case for the rightness of something uh, that I believe. Like, for example, stay married because that's what the Bible teaches. I wouldn't say that's what the Bible teaches. I try to come up with all the reasons why you want to stay married or why you don't want to get drunk or things like that. And there are always weak arguments at some level because I really believe those things because I believe what the Bible says. And so at some level, I think you're making a, a strong point. We just have to be fearless and say, hey, we believe what we believe because we believe in Jesus and we believe in what uh, Scripture teaches. And that's the ground we're going to stand on. I'm not sure his, this is what Jill's point kind of resonated with me. I'm not sure his ultimate goal with this, this looks like it's going to be a movement. You know, he, he wrote a book about it. He obviously produced a documentary. He's very engaged on Twitter and social media about it. So it may be a movement. If I were to conclude that this was his, you know, magnum opus, this was the final piece. Okay. And and that's where I would kind of be given the way the world is like, I've only got one shot. Let me get it all in here. If it is a conversation that he's trying to have, if this was the really, really good conversation starter that's going to engage, I do think it was a masterful way of doing it because, now this is where I I believe on this, the Bible teaches that God's word is truth. God is truth. So if a person, even those who are unbelievers, if you're in a pursuit of truth, you will run into God. 
I, I believe that. So if we're going to get a foundational answer to this question, okay, okay, wait, 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 what is a woman? If those who are sincerely, honestly searching for it, we got to run into God at some point. And that's, that's what Bobby's saying at the end of his point there, which is we can kind of argue around the case and we'll get close. But at the end, we got to run into God because that's, that's the solid ground that we stand on. So, but I think the other thing I enjoyed about it, though, was it's attacking this basic question. Look at how the devil works, okay? He is out to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his goal. and He'll do it by any means necessary. So when you look at how things start, okay, well, maybe we'll change the framing. That's an enemy tactic. Maybe we'll change the discussion, enemy tactic. He's so far into this, he says, I'm going to change even the definition of words because he wants to destroy and burn down everything. Yeah. So when we get to, okay, what is love? I'm going to distort that definition. We're going to make it circular. Love is love. Well, what is a woman? Well, a woman is whatever somebody identifies as a woman. Well, what is that? Well, it's a woman. And I will destroy even the definitions to, in an effort to destroy the world. And that's what I think Matt tried to do in this documentary. Okay, let's just stop. What is that thing we're talking about? Because if we're at a, such a critical point, if we can't define something as basic as man and woman, the next level is going to be, which we're already there, right and wrong. And mm. so my point of view is fueled by this is where I disagree with Bobby and Jill and Shamika and their point of like we need to be trying to convince non-believers. I think the real problem is with believers and that we need to reach believers first. Believers have had their definition of man and woman shaken. They've had their they, believers, people run around claiming in church every Sunday, Bible study on Wednesday, 30, 40 years, they're, well, you know, same sex marriage, we got to blah, blah, blah. Belie and so believers are supposed to be the light. Right. Yes. And they've dimmed our light to the point that I'm saying, like, he, this, this documentary, the target is believers. Turn them lights back on. They're off. You have settled for everything they're telling you to settle for. So, so when I was uh, mentioning uh, what I have done in the past, what I'm saying is I don't think that was very effective. I don't think it's very effective when you you believe something because of the Bible, but you don't refer to the Bible to for, for your case. So right. I'm agreeing with you. And I think we're at a point where we've just got to be more bold, fearless and uh, strong about that. Hey, we believe this is wrong because in Scripture, Jesus says it's wrong. Deal with that. Yeah. And TJ, I'll let you hop in here. So. Um, I, I loved your show with Shamika and Jill. They both did a great job. I will tell you, I think what came out was uh, some female empathy uh, saying, yeah, but Matt did a pretty good job. Let's not kill him too bad. Um, I think the reality is the movie itself was very, very good. But there are things to pick up, particularly if you're a Christian. 
And they said, well, now it's a conversation starter. Yes, but tons of people aren't going to watch Fearless with Jason Whitlock, the same as they're going to watch this thing. It's been, what is a woman's been trending on Twitter since it came out? It's still going. Matt Walsh is getting death threats right now, right? It's going to just keep going. And so people are watching that movie. That's, if that's the only piece of content that they get, it needed to be there. And again, you don't need to revamp everything. You don't need to throw out all the psychiatrists and pediatricians and, and just replace them with pastors and priests. You just put something at the end to acknowledge that this is the truth, whether you accept it or not, and it needs to be heard. And so the, the other thing, to, to Bobby's point, that, well, if you put that in, they discard it. Well, the good thing about being on the right side of this is that God's truth has secular evidence. And so that's how you were able to make the entire documentary of an hour and a half first. And it lines up with everything in God's word. There are serious ramifications to behavior that God speaks against. And so this type of confusion, um, the issues you have in the trans community with a, with a suicidality um, attempt rate of 40%, all that stuff, those are natural consequences to going against what God said. And so I don't think we shy away from that just because somebody else would discard it. You, you provide all the same evidence that would be just as compelling and you say and by the way lines up with god's word for a good reason because he created it and so i'd love to use myself as an example uh one just to show self-awareness and just like i'm not better than anybody else but i i look at myself uh smothered in all this extra weight and, and it dims my light as a Christian. And that's why I'm trying my hardest to shed it. And I look at myself, uh, the old me that, you know, would be inside of a strip club once or twice a week. Whew, that turns the lights off. No one can see what, and because the whole time I'm in a strip club, I'm a Christian and <laughs> I believe all the same things that I'm saying now, but I've turned my lights so far down, no one can see it. And that's why friends of mine, very, my best friends are, are like, wow, man, I didn't know you had that light. And I'm like, these dudes have known me since 1985. And some of them had gone to church with me, but they had a bit more apt to go to a bar with me or, you know, go chase tail with me or whatever. They had no idea, like, man, I, and they'd heard me talk about my grandmother. They'd heard me make references to all of these different things but I had smothered myself in so much sin, nobody could see it. And, and this is why it connects to my monologue at the beginning and the whole deal is, is I'm looking at Jonathan Capehart and other people drop this LGBT thing on black people and it's smothering our light. And I'm mad as H-E-double-L, <laughs> as you can be about it. It's smothering, and this is where I go to uh, my criticism. I don't think ministers have been hard enough on this issue. I, I think, and again, this is where I'm just like, we got fundamental issues that we should be talking about, and instead, uh, we're lacing our sermons with stuff about Kadanji Brown Jackson or the Supreme Court Justice, or because I, I, but we're talking about all the other stuff. We're not. 
because the number one issue facing all of America, but it's most acute with black people, is family. Okay. I, I don't even, I don't, if I was a minister, the only thing I would be talking about pretty much is the nuclear, because if there is no husband, wife, child, if, the, if we don't correct, nothing will ever be fixed. We'll, we'll just be treating the same problem. And I'm talking, that's for everybody. Yeah. Black, white, whomever, if you want to look, understand why America is in free fall, man, woman, and child, that, that thing has been disrupted. <clears throat> hey, uh, Jason, before we get to that, as somebody who struggles with his weight as well, uh, and I, I've made some progress, but not the progress you've made, uh, I just want to address that it's important that we acknowledge the areas where we struggle with sin. Because everybody else sees it, especially when, you're, when your issue is weight, <laughs> right? And it also, to be transparent, it is hard to preach on things when you know you're not living the way God wants you to. But we still have to. Uh, because our responsibility is two things. One is to remind everybody of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. That those who really trust Him and who are trying to live a repentant life, uh, God's mercy and forgiveness flows into us, but it also calls us to be obedient, truthful people. And uh, we can talk, I'd like to give Anthony a chance to jump in here. We can talk about what happens to ministers and churches, but on these issues, uh, I just want you to know there's so much pressure not to talk about them today. And that's a big problem. Who's, who's applying that pressure? Uh, I would say that the pressure comes from people that you are hoping to influence to follow Jesus. So there's a passage in Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and the Apostle Paul is describing himself trying to reach people who don't know Jesus. And he says, I become all things to all men in order that I might win them to Christ. To the Jews, I become like a Jew that I might win the Jews. To the Greeks, I become like a Greek to win the Greeks. And what has happened in the minds of so many pastors and ministers is that they're thinking, I don't want to offend them before they hear what I want to teach about Jesus. And so what happens is uh, you've got that going on, and then you've got the pressure of what, what constitutes a, a great church. Well, here's what constitutes a great church. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of buildings, uh, good budgets. And so if your goal is to be popular, and I don't think it is, but I'm just trying to describe the reality yep. in which people live. If your goal is to be popular and have lots of, that we call the Holy Trinity of bodies, bucks, and buildings, then there are certain topics you're not going to address because you know people will leave and people will find it offensive. And so the reality is that mindset on the one hand, the, the mindset that starts with a, a good desire to reach people, uh, but then gets, gets also mixed in with, uh, if I say things, they won't come and it'll offend them, is really uh, causing uh, many ministers to not address things that God teaches them they have to address. You know, when we look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus does speak on virtually everything that we would go through, and he's truthful in how he does it. He is the truth. But Jesus meets people at various levels, depending on where they are. To the adulterous woman who's caught in the act. He's not, hey, you're going to go to hell. This is, he comes with, he meets her 
with grace. Um, one example that I like to give is, is Luke chapter 15. Uh, he tells a parable about, you know, seeking the lost. But what he actually describes in this parable are three different areas where people are when they're lost. He talks about the shepherd that has 100 sheep. One of them gets lost. He talks about the woman who has 10 coins. One of them is lost. Talks about the father who has two sons. One of them is lost. What's the point? Some people are lost because like the sheep, they wander away. I think you've described your uh, path in, you know, your Christian faith. At times you wandered away. You were raised right. You know what was right. But you got a little older, got success, whatever. You wandered away. You're going to be in a certain place there to be found. And the shepherd had to go get that sheep. The coin, coins don't get lost. They're mishandled. There are some people on the video that we watched, they were sexually abused. They were manipulated as kids. They were harmed as kids. They're mishandled. They end up in that place. I don't want to come to that person who was sexually abused, who is confused about what sex and identity is. Now, hey, this is hellish. Whoa, 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 whoa. There has to be a way I, I, I come to them. And then you've got the prodigal son who, hey, dad, give me my inheritance and get out of my way. Some people are lost, rebelliously running out. I can't approach all three people the same way. To the one that's rebellious, the father doesn't go to the far country to get him. The father, he has to come to himself. So even, you know, using yourself as an example, you say, you know, you've gotten to a place now to where, hey, I'm getting ready to tackle this thing. Depending on where you were in life, somebody could not have said to successful famous Jason Whitlock, hey, you this, that, and the other, ah, forget you. But you're at a place now to where, man, I can hear. So that's to say, you know, we do as a minister, I got to speak to all three people in 35 minutes. <laughs> I got to speak to all kind of lost situations. I do say that, yes, in a great big stance as the church, we have not taken the lead to be the ones. If anybody should say anything to those who are lost, if anybody should say anything about this, we should have taken the lead. But what were we doing during those times, especially back in the 80s and 90s? We're fighting each other at times. We're going after different things. And the enemy worked his magic to where now we're behind the eight ball trying to you know, play catch up. And, and by some, as Bobby talked about, They've leaned to the left. They've leaned into whatever was popular in order to get numbers rather than leaning into the truth. So, yeah, we and, do need to get that. Truth and part out. of this is the consequence of the church actually losing the battle uh, first for divorce. By 1990, most churches stopped talking about divorce. Then by 2000, churches stopped talking about sexual sex before you're married or, you know, sex outside of marriage. By 2010, pornography had taken over and most churches weren't helping anybody with it. And so by 2020, you know, it's moved from uh, celebration to participation in uh, all these lifestyles. And the church lost the battle back by not consistently addressing divorce. I had a guy in my church a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what the Bible says about divorce. And, uh, the, you know, Jesus is pretty strong on what he says about staying with your marriage commitment. It's a commitment that you make with God and, uh, you know, to hold to it. And uh, he came up to me afterwards. This is a guy who had kind of 
lost his way and had come back and said, okay, I'm going to come back to Jesus, but I want to be consistent. And uh, we had had conversations around what the Bible says about homosexuality. And then when we talked about divorce, he took me aside and he said, I'm really glad we're being consistent because it, it's the consistency that people need from the church on all of these issues. Otherwise, it feels like the church is picking on LGBTQ plus people. Mm. Uh, TJ, I want to bring you in because you and I both are not in the fire the way Bobby and Anthony are. And that's why it's easier for me to be a critic. And these guys have done a great job of uh, explaining like some of the pressures they're under and, and what their thought process is. But so I just I wanted you to chime in on on my take that the church is is letting us down and then having heard what these guys have said where do you come down i completely agree and i think it actually goes back to our conversation in tennessee harmony several months ago about where i think most pastors have become cowardly and that's why men won't follow them right and then that's how we've moved to a place where we've got less people attending church on sundays than than any time in our history um and so i would say say for us jason uh we have to approach this differently than a pastor would the pastor obviously everybody expects them to get up on sunday from the pew and say uh listen, here's what the Bible says about this, right? And sometimes you got to tiptoe around whatever they're doing that we agree or don't agree with. But for us, we are expected, and this is where I think Matt Walsh um, erred, we are expected to argue on their terms. And you've, you've brought this up. We cannot allow them to frame the argument. Whoever frames the argument has the biggest advantage in the world. If we allow them to frame the argument, even if we win that argument, we didn't get anywhere near where we wanted to get. Right. And that's where we are with this documentary. They framed it. And so we made them look really stupid. And in the end, we still didn't bring anybody to Jesus. We still didn't say, hey, this is the truth, because all we said was this is the truth. And everybody's like, oh, OK. And that's where their thought process stopped. You know, and, and Jesus tells us our, our most the most important thing is our relationship, our personal relationship with him. And then after that, we go to Matthew 28, and that's the Great Commission. We are to go out and make disciples of many. And you can't do that if you're arguing on their terms. How do you make disciples when all you're saying is, hey, there's objective truth. Let's abide by the objective truth. And we won't go any further because we, we know you don't believe in that. I don't, I don't think Jesus was out there saying, well, you don't believe in me, so I won't engage with you. Let's talk about what you guys want to talk about, and we'll solve it your way. I, I think the biggest insult to somebody like me and you, Jason, would be for somebody to say, oh, TJ's a Christian? I didn't know that. We should be wearing this stuff on our sleeve. They should know he's saying this because I know he's a Christian and I know where his worldview comes from. And so we talk about it so frequently, even when we're arguing things that and not saying, by the way, in Luke 6, it says this, they know that our point of view is coming from a biblical worldview. And so all of that, I think, combined together allows us to begin to try to execute Matthew 28. I don't even think we're trying right now. You know, TJ raises up some good points I want to piggyback off of. Mm -hmm. I've told some atheist friends of mine that people I really love and they'll question me about religion and all that other stuff. And I'll be like, do you realize that everything that you like and respect about me is because of my faith it 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 none of it is if if 
if I were left to be me, you wouldn't like me. <laughs> and so the generosity, the caring, and all that other stuff that makes you think, oh, Whitlock is one of the greatest people I know. That's all God. That's one. And then two, the other thing that I try to, like the point of this show and the point of the people that I, I bring into the fearless army or whatever, from TJ to Dave Shannon to Delano, I, I, to obviously to you guys, I, I'm trying to say people that have, oh, I want to be married. And, and so the reason I bring y'all on is because I'm really just trying to say well, you better get right with God because there's no way to have a successful marriage mm. without him involved. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. again, and you may have some atheist friends that, well, they've been married 30 years. But I bet you if you get into the guts of it, you won't like how they've been able to pull it off. But when you and again, no marriage is easy, but it really can't be done successfully for any length of time without the insight and wisdom of God. And then the other thing. And the reason I talk about my very common upbringing and my father didn't graduate high school, my mother's a factory worker, my GPA in college was a 2.3. I say this all the time and I tell the story of one of my best friends from college, how, you know, this dude literally misspelled cat in college. <laughs> but this dude is so at 55, 56 years old, this dude is so deep into the word He's now the smartest guy in our group. And I keep telling like, if, if you're an intelligent person seeking the truth, you cannot get to it without going to this book. Mm -hmm. And and so <clears throat> that's, again, where I'm, I'm not sure, are we fully, deeply explaining the benefits to yeah. Christianity? The goodness of God lived out in the lives of people. Yes, it's, yeah. it's going to improve your marriage. It's going to, regardless of what your GPA is, it's going to make you sound like a genius. Hmm. Uh, it, 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 it's the answer to all the questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the, 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 <laughs> thing about it, the thing about it, it is the best way, but it's not always the easiest way. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, that's the thing we've got to be transparent about. And uh, uh, TJ talking about discipling, you know, the Great Commission, which, you know, we really are big advocates of that. But you got to be in relationships because some of the teachings of Jesus are hard to follow. I cannot tell you the number of men that I have spent time with. They know that Jesus says they need to stay married. They don't want to stay married and they need relationships and love and accountability and encouragement to stay married or the parents who have kids who are just going crazy and they want to abandon what they know is right in terms of parenting their kids. They just need those relationships to help them to do what the Bible says. You know, uh, the, the Bible itself and the way of life it describes, it's, it's really clear. If you follow it, it's going to be the best life. You're going to have committed marriages. You're going to have kids that stay together. You're not going to lie, cheat, or steal. You're not going to have affairs. You're not going to be addicted to porn. You're not going to be greedy and material. All those things, well, those kind of people are going to be the best people to be around. But it takes discipling relationships for us to be able to live in terms of that best life. I, I want to get into uh, the word pride because this fascinates me. We're, we're in the middle of what we've now designated as Pride Month uh, for gay people. And, and black pride is a word that gets tossed around a lot and we black people leaned into it a lot. It seems like in the 60s, 70s and 80s. 
and and I'm not going to call names, but uh, someone very close to me. I had multiple discussions about pride, and that like, hey, I'm, pride is actually not a good thing in my view, but I, I want a more biblical point of view here uh, that, that this whole gay pride thing, black pride thing, pride to me takes you away from doing the right thing and takes you away from God. That's my opinion. How do you guys? So it depends, again, on how we define the term. Uh, what you're describing and how the culture has taken that word is basically I'm proud of what I identify as. So whatever that is, I'm proud of that and, and nobody can be ashamed of that. The problem is when we take God out of the equation and that's all I'm proud of, I'm proud of what my flesh can indulge in. So, yes, there is a there is a place where biblically, you know, God tells us I need to go to work and I work uh, my job as if I'm working unto God. We may look at somebody and say, man, he's proud of what he does. He don't miss a spot in everything because of how we interpret what pride is. The biblical concept of what pride is, is that I elevate myself and I take away God. And that's the pride that leads to the fall. So what the LGBTQ community has done and what race identities have taken it, whites have taken it, blacks have taken it, et cetera, is we're proud in what we identify as. Black pride, LGBTQ pride, it's pride month, but where's God in any of that? He's nowhere to be found. And if I keep elevating that up, I'm, I'm, I'm doomed for destruction. The thing that's really demonic about it is that um, if, I, if you were to describe what the Bible says the root sin is, it would be pride. Mm -hmm. uh, C.S. Lewis in his uh, famous book, Mere Christianity, says the root sin is pride. It's where Adam and Eve said, we don't need you, God. We're going to do it our way. And when you go through the Bible and you look at what is the root thing going on with sin, it's literally we're shaking our fist at God and saying, uh, I want to be my own God and do it my way, right. not your way. And so to celebrate something that, that God says is sin and you celebrate it and it becomes the matter of pride for the month, it's literally demonic because it's the exact opposite of what God would want. What God wants is humility. He wants us to be humble. He wants us to self-acknowledge our sins, to ask for His mercy and kindness, and to rely on His goodness and His direction, because God is good, and we always lose our way when we reject God and do it our own way. I, get, I would love to see, James Brown, he's dead now, I believe, but say it loud, I'm Christian and I'm proud. <laughs> when, and, and that would... As long as as proud would be uh, somehow mixed in with humility, let me tell you a story. There's a there's a, a story that Jesus tells of a guy who comes before God at the temple, and he says he thanks God for it. He says, "God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. Mm -hmm. You know, I tithe, I go to the temple, I'm good." And then he Jesus says, "So you've got that guy." 
And then you've got the guy who stands off in a distance and he beats his chest and he says, have mercy on me, God, I'm a sinner. And Jesus says that second man is the one who's righteous in God's eyes. So we always have to have uh, at our core a humility, a humility about our sin, about our need for God. In fact, Jesus says, you know, blessed are the meek, uh, for they will inherit the earth. The idea is that, hey, uh, it's just a sober awareness that I have a sin nature, I fall short, and I need the mercy and kindness of God. That's the realm we have to live in. All right, I want to uh, bring up one of the, th it, it fascinated me, Shamika made a great point, I thought yesterday or Monday, uh, or is yesterday, uh, about the LGBTQ co-opting the rainbow symbol. Uh, let's play the clip of Shamika. When she called them bigots, Jason, I think that was the part for me that made me the most angry because part of the definition for a bigot is to be unreasonably attached to a belief. So you're going to say that someone who professes Christ is unreasonably, unreasonably attached to a belief. Someone who believed that Jesus died on the cross, rose on the third day, ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the father. From thence he shall come to judge both the quick and the dead is unreasonably attached. I think taking the rainbow and perverting it, something that was meant to be a covenant between God and his people that he would never flood the earth again. Perverting that, I think that's an unreasonable attachment to a belief. But I don't go around snatching down rainbows or, you know, I let them do what they do. And I don't call them bigots because I disagree with what they believe. So I just felt like that was an attack against Christianity and I didn't appreciate it. That part, calling them out like that, made me angry. Mm. Mm. And so I went and looked up Genesis chapter 9, verses 13 and 16. Uh, I have set my rainbow in the clouds and will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Uh, whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. <laughs> I had no, when she said this yesterday, I had no idea. Okay. that that's where they got the rainbow. Yeah. And again, this is where I go back to, like, all that documentary needed was 15 more minutes. <laughs> because, and this is why they keep talking, the, the gospel is so powerful, but it's like, hey, let's keep it hidden. Let's don't put it in people's face. Let's don't tell them the real truth about what they're really doing. Let's go have a secular argument with people about the satanic stuff that they're doing that's my disappointment. So, you know, the, the rainbow is a sign, a sign of God's covenant, his promise with mankind. It's a it's sign. It's actually a sign of his mercy and grace. I, it's all, I mean, that's all of that's in that. Like, I destroyed the world and I left a remnant and, and, and this and is my promise. I'm never going to destroy it this way again. Right, right. This, this is my promise. 
And so whenever I refer to that in my preaching and teaching, how I link this back to God is he gives us a sign that says, I'm still keeping my end of the bargain on this. Every time we see a rainbow, God is saying, remember what the promise I made? Remember the promise I made? But the enemy is all about perversion and destruction, Jason. So he will take a sign of warning, a sign of mercy, a sign of grace, and pervert that to a sign of, hey, I'm living in my rebellion and I'm proud of it. And I'm, I'm prideful of that. That's, that's just his... His perversion. It's, it's, it's actually really frightening because it's so demonic yeah. to take something God intended for good and then to use it for human pride and rebellious sin. We, we've got to remember that the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is in the Bible as a warning that this kind of lifestyle that's celebrated every June in Pride Month, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for that. Yeah. And that's in there as a warning for us. And uh, I, I, I think, Jason, one of the things that you, I've really appreciated you doing is calling out the demonic, satanic influence behind things. Just before the show started, you and I talked about an article that uh, was published in Renew.org, and it talked about where this thing has gone to. So if you go back to the 1980s, uh, Christians would condemn the LGBTQ lifestyle. Then by 1990, they accept it. By the year 2000, they tolerate it. By 2010, they celebrate it. And right now, what's happening in our culture is you're participating in it. In high schools everywhere, if you don't participate in the LGBTQ lifestyle, there's something wrong with you. And think about that. That is totally from Satan. It's totally demonic. TJ, I'm going to give you the final word on this. Uh, I'm sure... Shamika's comments probably didn't uh, weren't as uh, new to you as they were to me, but I just I thought it was powerful and I thought it just hammered home the point of just how we have to reach Christians to get them to understand what's really going on, because I think too many Christians see all of this stuff is harmless and it's just not harmless. Absolutely. So I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this in the graph that uh, Pastor Bobby just put up reminded me. I, I just think God's looking down on us right now saying this is the most cowardly, worthless group of Christians I've ever had. I mean, it's we I, I used to say, guys, uh, David would kill David, a little kid with a slingshot. By the end of his life, he had killed tens of thousands in battle. You know, he used Moses, who was a guy who had a list. And he's like, man, it doesn't matter. Figure it out. We, you're going to lead my people out of slavery, out of Egypt. He took guys with major issues and said, it doesn't matter. I know you can't even talk to these people. We'll use your brother, Aaron, and you will be able to help lead my people into freedom because you've got the courage to do so. We, we don't even have, forget the courage to speak against it. We don't have the courage to not participate it, uh, participate it ourselves. I and mean, this is why it was so actually quite impressive that those five Tampa Bay Rays players came out and took a stand and said, listen, my Jesus says that that ain't right. And I'm not doing it. Don't hate these guys, but I'm not doing it. So uh, I do think it is satanic. I mean, it, and, and can it get can it hit any closer to home that people who are literally doing the work of Satan are adopting our Christian uh, symbols? You know, and, and, and the left does this, right? We, we've seen this. Right now, if you do this today, that used to mean okay. Right now, that means you are a white supremacist, right? Nike, uh, a few years ago, 
put the Betsy Ross flag on some shoes and they got recalled and they stopped making them because Colin Kaepernick came out and said, hey, that's a symbol of white supremacy. That was back when slavery was going on with the 13 column. We can't use the Betsy Ross flag. And, and they've and they've they've taken symbols of what everybody thought that's a really good thing okay hey that means we're all good there and and suddenly now these were white supremacists on this side saying adopting what we all view as something good and making it bad um that's what's happened here um they they we are they have taken something that everybody has warm feelings when they see a rainbow i was taught my mom i remember my mom telling me we're riding in the car and i'm like hey what's that and she's like that's a rainbow that's god's promise to us that i'll never flood the earth again and i've had warm feelings about a rainbow for years and now I don't. They have stolen that symbol, which I don't think we can allow them to continue stealing our symbols. I think we have to recenter our own views. When we see a rainbow, we should think about God's promise because he defined the rainbow, not some guy that, you know, I was actually just reading about um, John Hadley sent me the, uh, the, how it came about. And it was, they call him the, um, uh, I think, it, I think they actually call him the gay Betsy Ross. He's a former, uh, um, military guy who they didn't have that back in the day when before all the pride movement started there the closest thing to a symbol they had was just a pink triangle and so he's like i don't like that we need something so he went and created uh the rainbow and he said he had every color meant something different on this flag and he's like this is going to be our our point now i don't think i don't know if he was directly saying i'm going to steal this from god but i'm i'm telling you that is kind of how satan does his work and he's clever about it and we have to call it out and be um, intentional about what's happening and speaking against it. And it doesn't make you a bigot to do so. I'm sorry. It certainly doesn't make you a bigot to not participate in it. And it doesn't make you a bigot to say, I'm just telling you the creator of the universe says not, that's not right. And I'm taking his word over yours. Man, the, the only thing I had, had left on that uh, documentary as a parent um, is, is our kids. Uh, when we look back historically over mankind, the nations that we judged most harshly were those who had human sacrifice and in particular child sacrifice. And where we are as a culture now, um, we are sacrificing our kids to this whole identity piece. Um, and that's that's just, you know, Jesus tells us uh, that if we cause our his little children to unbelieve, if we cause any of them to, to not follow Jesus, he says it's better to have a weight put around your neck and be cast into the sea. Like that's, that's how passionate Jesus feels about children. And the fact that we are at a child's whim, I feel like a girl today or I feel like a whatever today, we're giving in and we're investing money for them to have this surgery and we are reshaping to where now teachers in some states are able to come out to kids or to even I've had a friend of mine to say that, you know, their kid was in a class and one of the kids in the class came out. And one of the assignments for the class was that all the students in the class had to write something positive about this child that came out in class. Like we're really doing this to our kids and what's going to happen. And this is where, again, we, we wrap it on this whole thing about truth. I would rather tell my children the truth and for them to not like me for years and years until they come to the truth than for me to lie to them. 
and then for them to hate me for the rest of my life. Because they're going to say, Dad, when I was a kid and you allowed me to do all this stuff, like, where were you? Why didn't you protect? I was a kid. Why would you invest in that? I'd rather have them dislike me. Oh, my dad is mean. Oh, my dad is this. Most kids think their parents were mean when they were kids. Hmm. But as you get older, you'll be thankful that they told you the truth. And, and God is going to look at how we as a nation are letting our kids be sacrificed to our own sinful and their own sinful whelms. Bob, I'm sober. good. I got nothing else to say. You got I got that? nothing else to say. Uh, That's it. Yeah, that was good. Uh, I think we got our harmony song playing. Uh, that means we'll see you tomorrow. up so divided stop fighting and stand tall we used to be a nation one united now we're headed for a downfall god let your light shine down what we need more than anything Tell us.